out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As always, we love a special guest, so let's just cut straight to the chase. This, uh, this week is going to be the turn of the English punk rock band, or trio, Smash. This, Smash. I know they're slightly late 80s, early 90s, but they had some classic singles and a classic EP, which we bought back in the day, a mini EP, in fact, which had, um, yes, tracks like um, Real Surreal and also Drugs Again and many, many more. Well, there was five tracks altogether. Anyway, this is with the guitarist, vocalist Ed Borey, who I um, caught up with to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that groovy stuff. And after an incredibly long chat before the interview even started, which I've edited out, because really we are just kind of rapping like some old people, um, we got down to those early musical influences. And this was Ed's reply. Ed, surprise us with your favourite bands. Um, I liked... I've always liked like pop music, so I would have liked. I loved ABC. I liked that one. I liked Vienna by Ultravox. That was good. It did become a bit boring when it was number one for however many weeks, but it was still all right. Yes, but actually, what? Vienna never got to number one, did it? it? Was shut up your face got to number one and kept them off the top spot. Oh, did it? Yeah. I'm- I remember seeing Vienna on top of the pops every week forever. It, it was. I think everyone wanted it to be number one, and Mitch was like, "You've got to be joking." <laughs> and and so it's got this thing because it never, you know, the greatest single that was beaten by "Shut Up Your Face." <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, so maybe we, I watched it climb up the charts. Yes, I? it climbed, and we were all a bit amazed that it never got there. So you were? Did you love Trevor the Trevor Horn production and Frankie Goes to Hollywood? I liked, I didn't like Relax. I fucking, I don't like Relax now. It's, it's dead for me, that song. Along with uh, uh, Culture Clubs, whatever. Come a Chameleon or Victor? Oh, God, that is so dead for me now. But it was good at the time. So, yes. So, what I, year? I liked what year I we... love Blondie singles. I love that Blondie, you know. Yeah, you know, what year were you born then? So what year were you born? 1967. 67, right. So you were just, yeah, okay then, I got you. So you didn't buy ba- parallel lines, you just got the greatest hits. No, my, I didn't buy any records. My middle, my elder brother, James, had parallel lines. My elder brother, James, my middle elder brother, James, listened to Blondie, Slade and Soft Cell. And my oldest brother listened to Iggy Pop, uh, Genesis, The Doors, The Velvet Underground. So I didn't really, I didn't, really, I didn't, and I didn't buy any records of my own until I was about sixteen. Right. Did he like prog rock? You know, the Genesis. Did he go for Yes as well, or was it just? Yeah, he liked Yes. Yeah. Barkley James Harvest, Wishbone Ash. He probably had those, yeah, but I, I never delved that deeply. I never really got past the Stooges and the Velvet Underground, if I'm honest. Yes. I mean, I love the Doors, though, I must say, yeah. Yeah. So when did you go to your first gig? What was your first gig? My first gig was Donovan, probably in about 1982, Donovan at Hatfield Forum. Excellent. Yes. Where your love like heaven. God, that's such a romantic song. Catch the, catch the wind. So was folk music kind of particularly important in your life at that stage no it was just a a night out with some school friends i mean it was because hatfield was the next town it wasn't it wasn't difficult yes yeah isn't that where the marine girls come from hatfield there was a band we'll have to google that david we will have to google the marine girls and find out where i think you might be right though it does ring a bell yeah Yes. So was there a bit, were you part of any musical scene at that stage? Were there bands in the area or was it a little bit of a desert? Oh, no, there's there's always been bands in Wedding Garden City, Hatfield, because we had, oh, what's the name? Oh, 
they were on like it was like a Britain's Got Talent show, and they were from Wellington Garden City, and they were called Blase. Oh. I think they might. I think they might have won, or they got to the final, and they were from Wellington Garden City. And then, of course, the Astronauts, which are massive, world famous band, or from Wellington Garden City, and about that age, about fifteen. Smack, what we were called Smash at the Blues when we were 15. We're, we're, we'd go and play gigs with the astronauts all around the country. Yes, because the astronauts, there were several bands called the astronauts, weren't there? There was an um, anarcho punk band called the astronauts, which I can remember. And they were in. That but that wasn't the same band, was it? Why not? Pardon? I think it was, yeah. Because there was a guy, I think his lead, the lead singer was called Mark, and they used to... Yeah, um, that's it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's Mark Astronaut. Yeah, still friends with him today. Still do gigs with him today. He's absolutely amazing. He is, in the full sense of the word, a legend. He is a legend, yeah. But there was all those bands like Blythe Power, Chumbawamba, The Poison And Blythe Power were played in Hitchin about four months ago. Excellent. There yeah. You go. Yeah, so the astronauts were in your neighbourhood, right? It all makes sense, actually. More than that, we, I mean, we, that's, we did lots and lots of gigs with the astronauts. We did, and then a couple of years later, during the miners' strike, we travelled all around the country with the astronauts, doing miners' strike benefit gigs, and yes, brilliant, loved it. And were you Smash at that point in the mid '80s, or were you still a different? Were you a different band at that stage? Uh, we were Smash at the Blues until about 1989, 1990, when I think it was the guy at the Bull and Gate in uh, Kentish Town couldn't be bothered to write all of that, so he just called us Smash. And it's dark. Yeah. So in your pre-astronaut uh, smash phase, what? who were the members of the band at that stage? Uh, me, Rob and Salve. But Salve was the singer. And we had a bass player called, called AD. No. Then we had a bass player called Marco. And then... When the bass player didn't turn up, South played bass, it was just, and it became just the three of us. Yes, and did and did the vocals, the singing basically, um, yeah. did that come quite naturally to you? I mean, did you find your voice quite easily? Eventually, yeah. Yes, because it's quite a, a thing to do. But then, if you, well, I started writing all the, I started writing the songs. So, I mean, I'd always written the songs with Salvatore. But then when he started playing bass, I think I think I just started writing all the songs. Yes. And it, I mean, and playing benefit gigs uh, around the country, obviously it sort of sharpens your sort of um, performing yeah. skills up. As everyone says, you know, it's always you've got to get out there and play. Otherwise, it never quite. You've got to, drink, you've got to get out there and drink three pints of cider. In front of strangers <laughs> who, who, might, who, might, who might not get it. Yeah. Or, or want to hear something they love, like yeah. Come a Chameleon, which would be a tricky one to pull out the bag, <laughs> really, wouldn't it? <laughs> because during, you know, because having done a lot of these interviews, I didn't realise quite so much how that music world changes. So that, you know, because I've got indie pop, which is the jingly jangly sound of the 80s, down from 83 to 87, which is the years of the Smiths, really, let's face it. And then Ecstasy comes along. And then, you know, everyone wants to dance, don't they? So there's this sort of the Primal Scream, Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, and the Soup Dragons, who managed to do the crossover from indie to dance quite quickly. And and so a lot of those bands that I loved by then had just got fed up and thought, well, the fans don't really want us anymore. The music press aren't interested. And we've kind of, and something's changed. And we, we're not going to get into dance music because... You know, this isn't our thing, so they give, give it give it a kind of a miss. But obviously, you were you were sort of still sort of digging in with the music world. I don't know if we dug in with the world. 
we, we, we couldn't really stop. We just we just played music because we were three friends. Yes. So did you did you sort of sit down? Did you ever sort of sit down and have a plan of what was going to happen, or did it? No, sort of... we never even spoke to each other. The first time we spoke to each other was about two thousand and thirteen. <laughs> and you said and actually we didn't speak to each other we spoke to somebody else we spoke to Adam Foley individually and then he showed basically Adam Foley made a documentary called Flawed is Beautiful about Smash and these animal men which as you as you pointed out earlier were the only two new wave of new wave bands so Adam Foley made a documentary and filmed us all and interviewed us all and I'd I realised that I'd never actually spoken to Salve or Rob in 25 years 30 years which is probably you know <laughs> <laughs> wow because actually going back to that other band you mentioned these animal men yeah the guitarist who used Both. to yeah, he came from Stradbrook in Suffolk, which is where we, yeah. where I went to school. Right. And so I sort of remember him vaguely because he was a few years younger than me and um, he was a bit of a hotshot guitarist back there. Because his brother was in a... I think he was a drummer in a, one of those kind of rock bands or pop right. bands um, that used to do a few pub gigs here and there but never got anywhere that much, really. So, yes, these Animal Men were the other band, weren't they? So when... Because I can remember your your you know expanded EP came out, which had you know sur yeah. real surreal and drugs again. So that that was ninety four. So we'd sort of done the dance stuff and grunge, and and was about to launch into Britpop, I suppose, at that stage. So what was kind of happening at the turn of the decade then, from from the eighties to the nineties? Were you still just trying to keep something going? Uh, no, we we just played together. We just rehearsed like on a Thursday night at Dammer Drive Rehearsal Studios in Hitchin. We enjoyed each other's company. When you make music, you can't stop making music and you can't really make music for other people. So we just we just made music. Yes. Maybe we plugged away until it became popular. <laughs> <laughs> but when did you suddenly you think, actually, we've got something quite good here. Because mostly, you know, like a lot of bands, you know, you realise that they just play in front of their friends and family and anybody else they can emotionally blackmail to yeah. to um, go and watch them. And then one day, you know, something happens. There's a shift. And in the 80s, to go back to the 80s, there was the, probably the 90s, actually. But there were the gatekeepers, weren't there? You had John Peel, you had the NME, Melody Maker, Sounds, Record Mirror, you know, and probably a few other people like Janice Long, who were... Who, who would give people that kind of break from the alternative world? And then you had all these venues around, you know, um, Britain, you know, from like the Wild Club in Norwich to, you know, all the other places. I'm not going to go through them, but, you know, like the Princess Charlotte in Leicester or the George Robe in London. And then you went up to Leeds and Glasgow. Everybody had a little kind of indie yeah. alternative night, which kind of gave people that opportunity that you would almost expect a hundred 200, you know, pasty-faced kids like me turning up to go and see a band because they'd heard it on the John Peel show and, you know, for you know for two ninety nine or whatever the admission price, it was kind of worth taking a punt. So yeah, you you must have obviously been playing a lot throughout the 80s with the astronauts into the yeah. 90s. Yeah. And when, when you sort of saw the grunge world sort of come along, did you think this is our train or did you think... No. No. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't our... We're not getting on this one. Then that's going to have to go. No, we never got on anyone else's train. If if only if we got on a train that was going somewhere, we'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. Instead, we were driving our own train. The only the only other passengers were these animal men. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose those bands like Blythe Power and the Poison Girls and and uh, yeah, Astronauts. I mean, they were slightly in that kind of world of, uh, you know, the the anarcho punk alternative yeah, scene. Yeah. Yeah. Which was quite tricky because, in a way, the fan base didn't really expand that much. No. And, in a, you know, sometimes you just went, God, I'm not really going to be in that band because their fans 
they've all got long hair and dreadlocks and they've all sort of got, you know, they all live on buses with dogs on rope. Well, no, they didn't have dogs on <laughs> string. But they, you know, what I mean, they, they were all sort of part of the, the, con, the peace convoy yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. So you kind of thought, well, yeah, actually, I'm not sure if I really can identify with that band. So then, yeah. then what happened with your first... Because you created quite a buzz, didn't you, in sort yeah. of 93. So did that... Was that sort of bubbling under, so to speak? Or was it was it... bubbling under and we had... Uh, we, we put a lot of work in. We had, you know, we were doing gigs at the George Roby and we were doing gigs at the Bull and Gate and also for that fucking horror Vince Power at the Powerhouse, which was pay to play, which was a horrible thing. Uh, and... and and we had a, a young following in Wedding Garden City, just of like 16-year-old kids. We were about 25 at the time. And uh, one of the guys made a, made a fanzine called Petal Bars, and I used to help him do that. And Rob had a shop, which was kind of a focal point. Rob had a second-hand clothes shop, a vintage shop in Hitchin, which was kind of a focal point for the young kids. And we were doing doing little gigs and people liked it. And we organised coach parties to the gigs. So it was, you know, five pounds from Welling Garden City, John, uh, Welling Department Stores. Get a coach and a ticket and you're in, into the George Roby night out with your mates, see Smash. Yeah, we, we put quite a lot of work in. Yeah, and, and we were developing our songs and our style, and when I was writing more and more. And which is the one that sort of you thought this is quite, this is this is something a bit special because because on that that five track EP there was the two that seemed to stand out was Drugs Again and Revisited Number Three. I mean, right. can you remember writing those two? Yeah. Did it come together quite quickly? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean they were quite they're quite angsty. I was going through uh, the drugs again. Is oh no, that's another love. Well, it's uh, I found songs came in pairs. So the another love, the, the there's a opening line to another love was Bob Dylan sucks my dick. Am I sick? Yes. And I was like, you know, Bob Dylan, you know, from when I was growing up, just from being young, from like seven, 10, 13, Bob Dylan had that song, Everybody Must Get Stoned, right? Yes. And I was like, so I started getting stoned, thinking it was all right. But really, it's not all right. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so I was doing too many, I was smoking too much pot at the time. And then uh, in the in the very early nineties, I was living I was living with a guy called Kev Sharp, and uh, and he he killed himself. And then in about nineteen ninety two, ninety three, I moved into a block of flats opposite where I used to live with him, where we where his flat was. So that was revisited. Back to where my friend died. Yes, it all makes sense, right. Because I thought it must be autobiographical in some ways. They cause... all are. I, make, I don't make any of this shit up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And obviously drugs again. Relationships. Yeah, yeah. You know... <laughs> It's a fickle. Could you, could you relate to that? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it's it's that kind of when you're young and everything's very heightened, isn't it? And everything, yeah. you know, we overact or overreact to everything that happens, and it's all a huge drama. But it seems really important, and it might still be. But you know, there is a time when you start to not get so hysterical about everything, and it's not such a big kick anymore. But when you're younger, you know, all those things. You know, I can see why your fan base kind of got very excited. And I, I remember sort of hearing that, you know, um, 
five track EP and thinking, God, this is this is pretty punchy stuff. You know, they don't know. Hmm. They're not wasting any any sort of time getting to the point, you know, and it was it was. Yeah, because revisited is because you do it kind of acoustically and then you blast it, don't you? You yeah. kind of do it again full on. So it kind of has a sort of a drama to it, which is, um, yeah, it stood out or stands out. So, um, yeah. It's quite interesting, isn't it? But by then, were you getting picked up from people like the music press? Because obviously things were getting quite... I mean, at that time, in the especially the 80s, but then in the 90s, the music world, the press, you know, it was huge, really. You know, they, and, yeah. they, and you had... There was other magazines, not just Q and various other ones. I can't remember what they're called, but they've all gone bust now, haven't they? But there were an indie one. There was an indie monthly, which um, was a kind of essential reading as well. Yeah, some of those magazines asked you what your favourite colour was. Yeah, I probably won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but was your, yes, yeah, so your fourth track, Lady Love, your colour? Yeah. Yes. So what was, yeah, okay, I don't really, I really can't remember much about that. What was, the, where was the basis for that one? In in a German Greer book called The um, Female Unit. Yeah. Yeah. Her writings for Oz magazine. Yeah. We remember it well. She appears with Vivian Stanshaw, doesn't she, on one of the covers, being a bit risque. And we we did get the uh, we got we reprinted her, we reprinted her article with, in the single when we re-released it. Yeah. So when when that came out, and you you had your mm. sort of um, PR person from London, did they? And it, you were definitely getting a lot of press at that stage. So did it feel like? This, things were starting to move. And, and also you had bands a little bit, not like these Animal Men, but you had, I suppose, bands like the Manic Street Preachers who tried to be a bit edgy, didn't they, and all that. Did it, did it feel like you were, you know, like surfing a bit of a zeitgeist at this stage? Because then Britpop appeared, didn't it? And everybody got guitars on stage. And, you, you know, and you got a lot of those other bands like, I don't know, Sleeper and Space and... Um, yeah. Yes, I can't remember what the other ones. Oh, shit. I can remember. I can remember. I mean, because as you said earlier, there was, it was, it could have gone either way because dance music was really big at that time, and indeed, I was, I was in, I was really, really into dance music at that time, and uh, you know, I used to go dancing all night at the Astoria, and and on a Thursday night, I'd go to a place called the Drum Club. And yeah, so it it could have gone either way, but the guitars managed to push through, and and indie music still, you know, didn't didn't disappear. No, it never disappears, does it? No, you can't beat a bit of indie pop. Yes, <laughs> but it's kind of funny because a lot of those bands that that sort of came out in the in the sort of not come out in that way, but you know, on top of the pops and sort of appear. I suppose they had been, they'd grown up, you know, in their formative years with the 80s indie scene. And I think a lot of the bands from that period, though they would have looked a bit too old for it, you know, were thinking, God, you know, like the, I don't know, the Primitives and the Wolfhounds probably looked on stage and thought, God, if, if, if we if only we'd stayed together a bit longer and um, <laughs> we, we could have slightly got a bigger audience than just the independent chart CD, NME and the John Peel Festive 50 place. So, yes, that, that was good. So then... Well, John Peel never played Smash. John Peel didn't like Smash. Yes. Did you the ever... only time that he ever played Smash was his last two records were... Maggie, 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 out, out, out by the Larks, and then I want to kill somebody by Smash. But other than that, he never played anything by us. Oh, that's um. Did that was that slightly irritating? No, that's good. <laughs> so did um Lamac, Steve Lamac, did he pick up on Smash? Yeah, Steve Lamac likes Smash. Steve Lamac still likes Smash. Right. In fact, Steve Lamac's released an album. Did you have you seen that? I don't know. I might Lots be... alternatives or something like that. Right. Yes. Real um, surreals on there. Yeah. So because he and Joe Wiley really got into that period. I think that's where yeah. the, when they appeared and things were happening. And did you ever play Glastonbury Festival? No. Was that annoying? That it's annoying. We didn't play any festivals. I still think it has something to do with Vince Power. <laughs> <laughs> 
not liking us. Oh, God. You would have been made for Glastonbury, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, I think at Reading in 1994, we weren't playing. God knows why. Well, I think because Vince Power was blacklisted us. But sorry, any conspiracy theorists out there. Um, but, you know, there were more Smash T-shirts in the crowd than anything. So we should have been there. Yeah, because I think I remember Silverfish played at Reading. And, um, I mean, they they did get quite big. But at the same time, you wouldn't remember any of their songs. Oh, I don't know, you probably would. But, you know, there were those bands like My Bloody Valentine and Silverfish and The Faith Healers. Yeah. So there, there was those kind of... Slightly noisy grunge bands that happen. So then, you know, like with most bands, they they have this kind of five year narrative. In your five, case, no, yeah, if, yes, but two, two, <laughs> because most bands, you know, they have a few years getting together or a few months, and especially in the eighties, you know, there was a, the unemployment, you know, job seekers allowance, enterprise allowance, kind of gave people that almost a grant to do anything really for a year. <laughs> And then, you know, in a lot of cases, but not yours, John Peel will give you a play and then a session, then that first album and gigs around the country in a sporadic way. And then there was the tricky second album, which often catches people, and definitely the third. And if anybody ever tours America, that seems to finish them off. So so you brought out your first album, Icon, didn't it? Was that your the first one or Self Abuse? No, Self Abuse was the first album. And did that sort of come together relatively easily? No, not really. That was the culmination of... That was all our songs, basically, on one record. And uh, it was a very, very difficult record. Yes. Why was that? Uh, it It was... We were kind of... When we recorded it, I think we were fairly burnt out having toured so much and uh, I'm not sure we were very really communicating with each other uh, it was in a residential studio in Lincoln which I don't think it should have been it should have just been local so I think we were quite separated and and I didn't really like the production on it myself but who was your producer uh, it was the same guy who did the wedding present George Best? No. Not um, Steve Albini? No. Mm. I can't remember his name. But you were on that one. You had been signed, is it? Were you on Virgin at that stage? Yeah, well, it's High Rise, but yeah, it was Virgin Records, yeah. And um, you had the Action Man cover. Did you, um, so were you, were you getting... Rob did that cover. Rob but... made that cover. Oh. Rob, our drummer, made that cover. Nice. Were you pleased with it? Yeah. Yeah, I was into action, man. But, um, yeah, when I was younger. But, so did that, did, were, you know, were Virgin pleased? Because I've, I've spoke to a few people in bands who were in, on indie labels, then they signed to Virgin in the 80s, this was during the 80s, and things were difficult for them, and that's the end of the band, really. So how did you find your relationship with High Rise Stroke Virgin? Fantastic. Absolutely amazing. They were very, very... Oh, it was Chris Allison who produced Self Abused. Yes. And then, so what was... Uh, your... High Rise Records were amazing. David Boyd was absolutely wonderful. Really, really looked after us. Yes. But then you, you have quite a gap because most people have that, like, right tall... Back in the studio next year, same again. But there was quite a gap between that and Icon. Yeah. And Britpop had been and gone in, in, the, yeah. in those years. The guitar-based bands had gone. So what happened in, in the, the follow-up to that self-abuse? Uh, just uh, a deterioration in my personal health and uh, and then the band split up pretty much yeah. had you just kind of was it stress that you were sort of struggling with at that stage no 
drugs that I was struggling with, David. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was the full blown. So you were sort of becoming a rock and roll casualty, weren't you? Yeah. It was what I always wanted. Yes. From, uh, from listening to the Velvet Underground when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, I was like, and watching Keith Richard come and go, I was like, yeah, I want to be just like that. Um, Careful what you wish for, kids. Yes, I know. It can come true. So then, <laughs> so then with your, the second album, which did you kind of like, did the band just kind of stop for a period and then you thought, oh, actually I might, I might need to get this back together again. The band stopped for about eight years. Uh, Rob, Rob was in uh, These Animal Men for a bit and then in Mo Solid Gold and he did some session stuff. Salvatore went on to play with Carter USM and I disappeared into North London's drug scene. Mm. And then in about 2003, we got back together, had a few rehearsals, and then a couple of years later, I had loads of material, and we recorded Icon with Simon Hinksman. Yeah. It's fantastic. What a fantastic album that is. It all comes together. So, yeah. were, you, so were you, at that stage, had you just become kind of Norman no-mates in the back streets? Yes. I don't know what you mean, but yes. <laughs> well, or is that... I suppose, it, I suppose, I mean, did, did you, you know, as in you disappearing and no one really known... That kind of, you know, there's a few artists that I have no idea where they've gone to, you know, and you just think, God, oh, they've, they've done one album, but you never know if they're sort of happily living somewhere or they're just scraping by under a park bench and thinking, oh, yeah. God. So when you, you know, when you're in a band and you've, you've signed all your contract and all that kind of malarkey, you occasionally get the royalty check. Did you manage to sort of have any, any money to sort of live off for a few years? Or did no. That, that didn't happen either? No. I know, most record companies go, you are worth loads of money. We've got your music. Tough luck. Occasionally I get seven or eight pounds from Scandinavia. Yes. Which is always good. That is good, because most people get it from Japan, don't they? Split that three ways. Buy yourself a, crikey, lolly, I guess. Buy, buy yourself a Freddo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so in, when you got Icon, and, and it was like, blimey, that was another decade. What happened to the yeah. time? What was it like meeting the other two members of the band? Oh, uh, it was beautiful, really, really beautiful. I went, I went round Rob's house. It was, it was beautiful. Yes. Did it take a lot of courage to go and see him? Not really, no. Yeah, maybe. Was he surprised to see you, thinking, "God, I thought the next time I'd heard about you would be at your funeral." He might have done, yeah. Yeah. Were people worried about you? I've no idea, David. No. But if you, you know, you've had that, because, you know, it's that moment, isn't it, where you're thinking, blimey, you know, it was kind of a, a quick rise and then disappearing is quite a, a strange, strange thing. And you must have, I mean, there was, because obviously the other two had gone into bands, but they had also yeah. finished as well, because I know Carter, you know, various members, Jim Bob, I think kind of thought, I've had enough of this as well, so, yeah. you know, I'm going to give the band a miss, which I think everyone else was like, oh, no, that was our PayPal. That was our PayPal um, I think Sal might have played for Super Stereo World. Yes. I'm not sure. Yeah. And then after that experience, which obviously is quite incredible, you bring out another album quite soon, well, not soon after, ten years later. What what album are you talking about now? Well, is it Goodbye, Well in Garden City? Is... What a classic! What a classic, David! Isn't that a great title for an album? It we is... should get an Oscar <laughs> or a Grammy just for the title of that record. It is a good one, I have to say. And did you manage to? You got a record label for that as well? No, that's my own record label. Ah, it all makes sense. In between that, in between Goodbye, Well in Garden City, and icon there's a couple of eps one is by smash called seymour without regret and the other one salve left the band 
briefly, not briefly, for quite a while. And me and Rob were still writing songs. So we did a little side project called Boswood. And Boswood released an EP, six or eight track EP, called Murder at Fresh and Wild. So in between Icon and Goodbye Wedding Gone City, there are two really fantastic standalone EPs. So because we were still writing songs. And was it is it the case that um, music always came quite easily to you? Yeah, maybe. I just, I mean, I just play the guitar all the time and write words down. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a very good therapy. You know, I'm angry. Need to get it out. Yes. Well, there's a lot to be angry about, isn't there? It's it's not like the Blair years where it was all just, everything was so lovely. But um, yeah. (laughs) And with your fan base, because yes, you said, like, as you said, supported my life story. Did that... Because one thing that I've noticed with interviewing Barry... Well, I supported Ed Borry. Now I'm a solo artist. I supported My Life Story a couple of times in the past nine months. Yeah. That was only because I wanted to do a gig. And, it, and I did. I had a couple of chats with Jake and it was... Yeah, I'm not sure Smash and My Life Story would have been ever been on the same bill. But it was it was certainly nice to do a couple of gigs with them. Yes. And did you find you had old fans that wanted to come and, and sort of come and see what you were up to? I just wondered, because a lot of people, when they do, you know, they come back and think, right, I'm coming out, I'm coming out, and I'm not literally coming out, but getting, getting on stage again. You're, um, yeah, people love to come down and sort of see and say, my God, you know, your music changed my life. But yeah. I just wondered if you'd had similar experiences with people. Yeah, like, absolutely. And that, I mean, what a what a privilege that is to... To have someone say, you know, your music changed my life. Yes, because it's it's quite impressive. I mean, looking at Spotify, which obviously is a bit of a love hate relationship for most artists, but you do sort of realise how many people have listened to the to your tracks, and especially yeah. And you must think, blimey, that's that is pretty impressive. I just wondered if you'd ever sort of, um, yeah, just thought, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, what are you sort of working on at the moment? I'm in the studio with Mick Jones and Gary McPherson. Working on a... EP. Right. Is that the Mick Jones? Yeah. Yeah. the Gary McPherson from Big Audio Dynamite 2. Uh, and is there, is there sort of, as they say in the world, that was um, not Spinal Tap, but... Um, <laughs> oh, yes, the Magic Fairy Dust. That was the Trogs. There was a kind of famous <laughs> recording of the producer or... Members of the band saying sprinkle some fairy dust. Do, does it feel like a some good material coming? Out? Oh, you definitely get some some West London magic sprinkled on your tracks. Yeah. Yes. So what it is? It's my songs, and uh, Gary is playing bass and doing the engineering, and sometimes Mick will play guitar or bass or keyboards or. But it's fundamentally, they're my songs. So it's going to be my EP with some West London magic sprinkled on it. Oh, well, I mean, you've always, man, you, you know how to craft a good song, don't you? Which is very... Well, thank you very much. It is, yes. Well, I, I, I do remember the excitement of hearing Smash for the first time and being quite blown by it and thinking, oh, I'm going to have to... Oh, I'll have to get the stylist, stylist, and put it back to the beginning. Thinking, God, this is but this is very exciting. I I didn't really go for that new wave or the new wave or whatever that was called because it all seemed yeah. for an old person. It seemed a bit complicated. Even in '97, I thought I can understand. <laughs> I can understand what indie is and grunge, but I don't really get this other new title. So, and and with um, Rob and Savo, are they just? Are they just doing their own thing now? I still see Rob because we we both live in Hitchin. And Rob, in actual fact, Rob came and played. So I'm a solo artist now and I've got my own first, I've got my first solo album out called What Goes On. And Rob 
did play drums on it. And indeed, Rob came and played drums at a live gig uh, earlier this year. Actually, Rob, Rob, yeah. So I still see Rob. Rob plays drums for me now and again, or we play together now and again. Yes. And do you... Um... But I haven't seen Salvatore for a very long time. No. What goes on? Do you, yeah, I mean... What would you, I mean, it's kind of interesting because you've had such a sort of checkered, you know, like up and down world. What do, What would you have said to an 18-year-old, your 18-year-old self starting out in that interesting but sometimes murky world that is rock and roll? Um, I, I, would, I think I'd try and give myself more confidence in the studio and say, don't rush this, you are right. Yeah, well, you—I mean, you—you you sounded disappointed with the first album. Did it get better for the other two? Yeah, I really took control from Icon. Yeah, and uh, and um, yeah, so I guess uh, you could definitely say I was—I co-produced all the other records. Yeah. So. Yeah, I wish I'd been more confident during the recording of Self Abused. But saying that, David, I don't want to detract from that record because lots of people love that record. Yes. And I am coming to terms with it, you know, 25, 26 years later. Um, and I, it is a great record. I actually did a Facebook live event a couple of weeks ago, and people wrote in requesting songs. And it was good. It was fantastic to revisit some of the songs off that album. And somebody had asked me to play Another Shark in the Swimming Pool. And it's a great song. The songs are great. Yeah. I know. I know. But it's kind of interesting because a lot of people often, yeah, I don't know, I was talking to the guy, Simon from the Cocteau Twins, and he, he said, you know, the album that everyone loves is the one that he least enjoys and likes and has what fun. What album is that? Uh, Treasure. Treasure. Um, I think that was not a, that's not my favourite Cocteau Twins album. It isn't. No. I don't blame you. What's it? Heaven and Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Easily done. Yeah, I know. What's I, your favourite Twins album? It was it was um, Treasure because I think it was <laughs> because it. <laughs> that was a difficult interview for you then. <laughs> well, I suppose it has fond memories. You know, you just heard heard this kind of wow, this is an amazing sound, Liz Fraser, and um, what vocals, and you kind of buy the you know buy the album, and you you know, and in those days. For three ninety nine, you're going to play it endlessly, aren't you, for the year? Because you're not going to just go, hmm, I'm not that bothered, because that was a big investment. And um, yeah, you just and you know, so it sounds great and it has fond memories and and yeah, but uh, yeah, no, he kind of understood that a lot of people love that album, but I think perhaps it was kind of the honeymoon period of the Copto Twins and um, yeah, and it felt exciting. Eighty four, that that kind of period of the indie pop world was quite exciting then. So yeah. Yes, but you've been playing with with a lot of your later stuff. You've played with, you know, it hasn't just been a three piece band, has it? You've actually filled out the sound. Um, what happened in the recent past was Salvatore recorded "Goodbye Wellington City" with us, and then then we had some commitments some gigs and this and that for the next couple of years but Salvatore didn't want to do didn't want to do the gigs so we've got another bass player called Simon Parry and a keyboard player called um, Paul Kimmett both from Wedding Garden City might I say in fact I went to junior school with Paul Kimmett I've known him since I was about six uh yeah, so we did a few gigs with a with a with a keyboard player. Yeah. Yes. And did that feel like brilliant? You, you had the sound. Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. I really loved it. 
And when you look at, because, you know, you were part of the, the, the class of, you know, the mid, say in the mid 90s, and you look at all those other bands from these animal men to, I don't know, Cud and uh, Thousand Yard Stare and, and Salad. I mean, a lot of bands have slowly started to sort of, you know, dip their toe in the water for various reasons. I mean, have you been in touch with many other bands to, or bumped into many other people from those kind of days to sort of go, blimey, that was a bit weird, wasn't it? Well, during those times, I couldn't relate to any of those bands. And even now, I can't relate to any of those bands. But we've done a few kind of indie all-dayers one in Manchester, I can't remember where the other one was. And we, we have done a couple of gigs with um, Salad because I knew I know their promoter. Yeah. And he very kindly put Smash on with Salad a couple of times. Yeah. Yes. Still can't really relate to them. Not musically, I but I just wondered if you, because you've been through various things whether you have that kind of conversation that only people who've been in bands can have because you kind of go god that was a weird trip because i did once interview martin fry from abc that you mentioned oh, earlier abc and he said you know as he was trying to get abc doing you know some more dates i don't know how long ago this was probably five or six years he said you kind of need an old people's home for ex-musicians to sort of be able to talk to each other because you you've been through something very strange and when you've been in a band and you know sometimes you had big success or you just had sort of vague you know some form of success and then one day it's gone yeah. how, how do you mentally deal with that because you know even Jim from Carter said that you know he really doesn't want to do music but he has that kind of he would love to do one gig a year but in front of a big audience not just you know a small and just have that kind of right I've got, I've satisfied that, that side of my life. But, you know, it's it's always going to be with him. And I just wondered how, you, you know, when you meet other people and think, blimey, you know, it was a long time ago. We were all doing our thing on the cusp of these great moments and re- releasing albums. And, and now it's kind of, you know, what do you do next? I just wondered if you have those kind of, you occasionally have those conversations with people. No. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because it's just, it's interesting how many people are now playing music again. I know, you know, from speaking to various bands, they're kind of thinking, we're not going to give up our day jobs or try and do anything drastic, but it's been fun to get together and play some music and have the odd gig and, and kind of enjoy that ride again. Right. Even Jake, in My Life Story, has yeah. done a new album. But anyway, look. Ed, this has been good. Yes, David, thank you for contacting me. It's a, it's a, it's a privilege to speak to you. Yes, well, thank you very much, and and likewise. But yes, and thank you for that. As I don't know who it was, Abba, wasn't it? Thank you for the music. That's all, <laughs> that's all we can say really at this time. But yes, well, I, I hope it goes well with your latest musical adventure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a choice, David. I have to write songs, so... Yeah, I'm hoping... The, the songs I've done in this with uh, Mick and Gary are just fantastic. I'm loving it. Really, really enjoying it. And that is what you... You know, that's all you can ask for in life. It is all I can ask for, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, I, look... I feel very blessed to have these opportunities and to play music. Yes, well, absolutely. Wait, so what time, your show's on at 11 o'clock on a Saturday? No. What is it? It's um, Tuesdays and Saturdays. Oh, yes, sorry, I was thinking of PM, not AM. But I also podcast these um, as well. So I can always send you a link or... or, Send me um, David, please. And then you can go, blimey, and you can post it on your page. Yeah. And people can listen to it and go, oh, I didn't know he was going to sound like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it happens the people go oh thank you very much yeah I'll post it and then you can you know because the fan the fans um, they kind of love you know hearing the story of a band actually yeah they kind of they kind of go blimey mate it's a tough world isn't it they'd be better off speaking to the drummer if they wanted to hear the story of my band would they 
<laughs> has he got, has he got more stories? I, I think so. Yeah, mm. I think Salvatore's got more stories as well. Nice. Well, perhaps you know, he probably wouldn't want to talk to me though, would he? So, <laughs> he's, he probably Honestly, is... Salvatore is worth talking to. It's a treat. Is it? Yeah. Ah, is he quite a character? Absolutely. Yeah, I think he should have done all our interviews. So, what does he on that famous picture of you? You know, the one which is the three of you together. Which one is he in that photograph? David, you, you, you've, you've gone a bit off piece there. Of course, it's the three of us together. There's three of us in the band. Which yes. photo? Pardon? But describe a photo a bit more than that. <laughs> well, the one that looks like you're on a bridge of some description and... Yes, and one person's got a fag, the other's, you know, in the middle, obviously, because there's three of you, um, with a jacket and a T-shirt. And, and it looks like a motorway behind you. Oh, yeah. I think we're on top of, uh, we're on top of the van. You're right. That now makes uh, sense. Rob, I think Rob is crouching down with a fag. Yeah. So Salvatore will be the other one that isn't me. Right. Dark hair, close-cropped yeah. dark hair. It all makes sense. Brooding eyes. Brooding. That photo was taken by Martin Goodacre. Oh, it was a good photo. It caught the moment. Yeah, we were on tour with Martin and Stephen Wells. The NME had sent them to get in the van with us and they did four or five dates with us. Yes. That was taken around Newcastle, Sunderland area. And then they came to Barrow in Finesse with us. A cold, it looks quite cold actually. <laughs> it was January. <laughs> it was kind of, uh, yes. Well, it's a good photo, it captures a moment, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a fantastic photographer. Yeah, good stuff. Look, Ed, thank you. Have a great Thank you very much, David. It's Take care, and um, yes, stay safe for the rest of the year. It's and good. you. Okay, thanks, David. See Cheers. you later. Bye bye. Bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. Thank you ever so much for. Uh, listening, if you still are. I enjoyed it. Anyway, that was Smash with Ed Borry to, um, yes, find out about life in a band and current and future projects. Anyway, this has been David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86show. And also these, um, yeah, shows have all been archived, so you can find those on um, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, just do at C86show. It's all there. It's going to blow your mind. Anyway, what can I say apart from goodbye? Stay safe. Have a great week.